Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Mandy and the F-Bomb. Hey y'all, welcome back to the F-Bomb. So today we've got Lauren Dickman, and if you remember, Lauren and her husband, Corey, were on a few episodes back, and I really am excited to have Lauren back because she's got some insight, and I've been wanting to pick her brain because she um, works as a clinical social worker, and um, kind of worked with, um, is it kids and families? Mm-hmm. Um doing kind of behavioral behavioral stuff. So for me as a as a adoptive parent, foster parent, just a parent in general, I'm interested in kind of the practical aspects of what you do and how that might apply to my family. And I I know that there are a lot of listeners that would feel the same way. So thank you for coming back. Sure, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Tell me, um, we were talking about what it is exactly you do. Um, and I'm still a little bit lost. So why don't, will you explain that just a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So I work in a primary care setting. Um, it's an FQHC specifically. So we tend to serve a lot of kids who are on Medicaid, um, or don't have insurance coverage at all, or, you know, just come from various backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Um, but part of my job is to do pediatric behavior services. And so what that means is one-on-one counseling, but the goal is not just to see the child and do therapy with the child. The goal is to see the whole family um, mm-hmm. and to help support them in their journey to supporting their child's behavior and improving their behavior. And so a lot of it looks like parenting, but it also looks like coaching them and modeling what that might look like with their child actually in the room. That is really neat. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So um, there's so many directions we can go. We had talked about maybe starting around um, in the in the foster care realm. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting a child that's that's placed with you as a new foster parent or kinship um, as a kinship placement, that kiddo has just been through some trauma, yes, and may have some behaviors mm-hmm. because trauma affects the brain. Yes. So can we talk a little bit sure. about that? Yeah, I think that's a great place to start. Yeah. So, um. I think coming from that side of it and being a foster parent, you have so many things swimming in your head and it's like, what do I do? What, what's the first thing that I should do with this child? I don't want to screw it up. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of what does that first night look like and not really knowing what to anticipate. And so I think the assumption is that 
when you have a child that's in foster care, then inevitably they face some pretty big traumas. So um, there's little t traumas and there's big t traumas. So when you think about the types of traumas that a child may have experienced, um, most of the time when you're getting a child in foster care, they've experienced pretty big traumas. And so when we think about trauma, you can think about little things like, oh, you know, they might have had something that happened in their life that they wouldn't define as life-defining life to them as something that was really significant, but it had an impact on their development or an impact on their growth. But then the big T traumas that normally end up um, affecting kids in foster care would be things like changes in caregivers, mm-hmm. whether they realize this is a healthy relationship or not, that transition from being in one household to go into another household or being a witness to domestic violence or um, things that we don't always think about like in utero drug exposure, stuff that's happened before they've even been born that really affects their development and affects the way that they relate to the world and the the way that they process things, you know, in a sensory way. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I like to talk with parents about in a really simplistic version of the brain um, there's a guy named Dan Siegel, and he writes a lot about child development and about the brain development. And when you're conceptualizing the brain, the easiest way to think about it is like um, your wrist going up into your hand. And so if you think about the back of your wrist, um, that's what we like to think about is the back part of the brain that tends to develop first when we're in utero. And so a lot of that's autonomic system. So you think about breathing, you think about heart rate, how Mm -hmm. your body sends signals from one part of your body to your brain and vice versa. You touch something and your brain automatically gets the signal, ooh, that's hot, don't touch it. Yeah. Um, all of that develops in utero and mm-hmm. all of that has holds a ton of trauma in terms of how our body reacts to things, whether we realize it or not. Um, so you think about that part of the brain and it forming first mm-hmm. and then you think about your thumb. So your thumb if we were to think about what that would look like in the brain would be more of the limbic system. So where your emotional housing system is, what, how you react to things, how you encode your memory. So whether something was a good experience or a bad experience, it's also right next to the amygdala. So Mm -hmm. if we put the amygdala on the thumb, that's how we respond to like our fight, our flight, our freeze responses. Mm -hmm. So if you're to fold it into your, the middle of your palm, that's where all of that system is housed. Okay. The front of your, t- the fingertips are um, your frontal lobe. Mm-hmm. So I always like to remind parents, it doesn't matter what background you came from. Most of the time that doesn't develop in adults until they're in their mid twenties or late twenties for males. So, <laughs> yeah. so Say I'll, it again for the people in the back <laughs> and so, all the wives and yes. spouses are like, yes, that's what like, I've been why saying. Does it seem like they're just not getting it? Because um, they're not getting it. Exactly. So you think <laughs> about funny. the frontal lobe is a lot about um, your problem solving or thinking through steps and having logic to things, steps one through five. So a lot of children, no matter what they've been through, it's like Swiss cheese and it's a sponge and they're constantly using their environment and learning opportunities to fill in some of those gaps and it's not going to be fully formed until they're in their 20s. So if you have your whole ri- your, your whole hand closed, that's the front part of the brain. What happens though is when you have a child who's had a ton of trauma, 
The first thing that gets activated is going to be the back part of the brain, the autonomic system, Mm -hmm. which sends all the red flags to the middle part of the brain, which is all of those emotions and all of the reactions of, oh, I perceive this as a threat, and so it it quote-unquote flips to the lid. So the front part of the brain isn't thinking anymore the way that it needs to. It's not thinking, oh, I shouldn't have done that, or oh, I'm... I'm throwing things or I'm hitting or I'm lashing out and this could result in me getting hurt or someone else getting hurt. That front of the part of the brain is being hijacked by the survival mode in a child with trauma. Okay. And so what happens is you have this flooding of the system and when everything's working properly in an adult that's really functioning well, it's hard to understand why didn't you just think about this? Or why are you trying to to hit your head right now? Or why are you trying to hit me? But the first thing you have to do when you have a child with trauma is try to get all of their brain functioning better. And the best way to do that is to work on the back part of the brain, the part of the brain that they're not thinking about. And so when there's a child that's totally flooded with emotions and with a lot of things going on, we don't even know always what the triggers are. Mm -hmm. We want to work on the back part of the brain. So simple things like trying to get them to slow their breath down and slow their heart rate down and get them to a place where, okay, they're calm enough to take in the information that I need them to take in. So it's it doesn't look like giving them a lecture or trying to think about, hey, you did X, Y, Z thing. Mm-hmm. The first thing is to sit with them and to try to get their bodies to calm down. So a lot of times for some children, it can be really triggering to have Um, an adult in their face or someone right next to them, maybe because they've had some not so great experiences and they might perceive any little frustration you have um, quicker than someone who Mm -hmm. hasn't gone through it. They're hypervigilant. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, And they've done studies. And so any little show of frustration in your face, they're going to perceive that quicker than a child who hasn't experienced trauma. But it might be sitting next to them and modeling for them what breathing looks like or Uh having a sensory basket where you have a certain part of the room where you kind of strip it of things so that they don't hurt themselves and they don't throw something or break something that's going to lead to more frustration for everybody but a sensory basket with a glitter bottle that you shake and you just quietly sit there with them and breathe and take deep big breaths or um, a stress ball where they can squeeze it so they get sensory input so again it's trying to calm down that part of the brain that they don't even know really is uh-huh. is not regulated. Um, a lot of times it's teaching them some other strategies when they're really upset or mad when their brain's not always working, they're not always thinking about the ramifications of their actions, but say you have paper and it's like, oh, we're really mad right now. I just really need to rip something. This is okay to rip. Uh-huh. And sitting there with them and giving them something to do to channel uh-huh. their anger as opposed to taking it out on something that they're going to feel really bad about later or guilty about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But that's one of the first things to understand, I think, is knowing, okay, how does this trauma affect them? And I'm not always going to know the triggers and knowing kind of what I'm getting with this child. And eventually you figure out a few of the things that really tend to set them off and kind of anticipate that. But in the very beginning, just knowing, okay, I'm getting a child who's been through a lot and their body is working on overdrive right now, and how do I support them in this? Um, So that's one of the first things that I recommend is having a sensory basket. So um, 
things like the stress ball, the glitter, glitter mm-hmm. bottle that they can shake. Um, for little littles, having a mirror that's not breakable that you put in that safe place so that they know they can make the connection of this is what I look like when I'm sad or this is what I look like when I'm mad. Um, a lot of times we'll do like their favorite stuffed animal or comfort item that they really like. Anything that's not easily destroyed but gives them some sort of sensory feeling, touch that they can have with them um, that's going to help regulate the back part of the brain so that you're getting them to a place where they can function better. I love all of that, and I'm all ready. So I've got a little one that mm-hmm. um, just had some trauma, and we deal with really big behaviors like that. And so I'm thinking yes. there's some things that I'm, I'm doing okay already, but so much room for improvement. I, I'm absolutely room for improvement. So I'm already thinking about like, oh, they have some of this stuff at home where I could just like go ahead and implement a sensory basket. That's easy to do. And I was thinking also um, – we, we kind of started off talking about um, children whenever they're first place, but mm-hmm. um, even for foster and or, or adoptive parents that have had children for a while, um, this is super duper helpful. And it's never too late to just start, like yes, start yeah. addressing these things. I think what is difficult, um, as I was thinking about this, mm-hmm. um, and you were talking about, um, you'll notice what are the things that trigger them. Mm-hmm. I think it's um, sometimes it's easier whenever you have a kiddo that is new to you because you're noticing all the things brand new. Right. Whereas like for me or maybe for other parents who have had kiddos for years, um, it just all feels like just all big behavior. Yes. And it's a little yeah. bit more difficult for me to isolate like what was the trigger moment mm-hmm. that started this thing and what do these trigger moments have in common? So I can build some correlation. And I think for me, at least, it takes a little bit more effort to pay attention um, because I'm so deep in it already. Yes. Yeah. So, but not not impossible. Like, I'm, I'm going to pay attention to stuff like that. But that's just something I've, I was thinking about. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And sometimes when you're in it, it's hard. It's hard <laughs> to know, okay, like, we just both really had a rough day today. Like, what happened? <laughs> what derailed? Um. And so I think sometimes it's helpful to have, like, a, uh, another set of eyes. So um, I always recommend, like, a sensory consult or trying to get an OT evaluation for kids. Um, that can be really, really helpful. But um, sometimes it's just even if you have a blank piece of paper. So um, it's called the ABC model, so the antecedent behavior and consequence. So a fancy way of saying, okay, just for the next two days, I'm just on a scrap piece of paper going to write down, okay, what time is it? What kind of happened right before they had this meltdown? What did their behavior look like? And then what was the consequence or like kind of what happened right afterwards? And so writing down and seeing if you notice number one patterns. Mm -hmm. So you might notice me and like, last two days, the biggest meltdowns have happened right in the middle of the morning or right in the middle of the afternoon or, okay, um, I really recognize like both of these scenarios got set off because, you know, another kid got involved and they got really upset about something that they couldn't control or they wanted a toy or something, you know, triggered them. And sometimes it's going to be hard to decipher like, okay, 
how much of this is related to the trauma and how much of it's related to them being, you know, a four-year-old. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah. Yeah, of <laughs> Having course. Having some struggles. Um, so that having like a log and trying to figure out some patterns and then try if part of it is like an experiment, right? Of like, mm-hmm. all right, I've noticed that my child tends to have a meltdown mid-morning the last mm-hmm. two so I'm going to try a couple of things differently where it's like, all right, um, I know that they're pretty energetic and they it's hard mid-morning. So one, I think I'm going to try to give them a snack to see if some of it has to do with like their blood sugar and them being regulated. And two, I'm going to introduce like some sort of sensory um, activity right in the middle of the morning to see if I can kind of calm them down a little bit. So um Another great strategy is using a visual schedule. So mm-hmm. having a lot of structure. So for kids who have come from a lot of chaos, they tend to thrive in chaos because that's what feels really normal. And so some of that is trying to get a lot mm. of routine. So they do they like um, create chaos? Yes. Because that's what mm-hmm. feels normal. Yes. Okay, okay. I see yeah. where you're going. Yeah, so sometimes oh. kids will create chaos because that feels normal. Just like if you think about the way that you grew up, and the way that um, things are done in your house, it feels most comfortable a lot of times, whether it's healthy or not. We <laughs> tend to fall back on what we know yeah. because it's like this is what our bodies kind of internalize and this is what feels the most natural to me. Mm-hmm. So same thing when you have a kid that's coming from a really, really loud household and they've had the TV on blast and a lot of times the, the maybe the lighting was really super dim and there were people in and out and – there was a lot of yelling and a lot of, you know, just noise going on all the time. Then to go from that to an environment that's just totally, like, very structured, very sterile, very quiet maybe, or just totally different in the way that um, your household is run. For them, it's like, oh, my gosh, like, I want to crawl out of my skin. This feels so uncomfortable for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But kind of, like, balancing that. So it's like, okay, I'm going to give them structure and predictability so that they know exactly what's happening throughout the day um, with a little variation in there, right? Mm-hmm. But giving them some structure that so that they kind of know what to anticipate. Um, but also, okay, let's say I know a little bit about their background and where they came from. And so I'm going to have some like low-grade music playing in the background so that there's some sort of background noise going on for them so that it doesn't just feel totally like quiet all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as a caregiver, you're thinking, okay, I don't want to, I'm not going to play rock, heavy rock music right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's just going to yeah. escalate everything. But I'm going to put on some like kid appropriate music that's going to kind of 
you know, calm things down, whether it's yeah. like um, classical music. That's a great one. So it's rhythmic. Um, it helps kids a lot of times, like the way that classical music works, there's just this weird, there's this weird effect on the brain that in a positive way yeah. um, with regulating, but mm-hmm. having some of that playing in the background and keeping it, especially during times where it feels a little more chaotic. Um, so having some of that going and then, okay, I'm going to build in like that mid-morning kind of up that tends to happen. That's when I'm going to try to do something sensory so that, okay, it gives them my, it's like helping my child regulate at a time mm-hmm. where they feel the most unregulated, dysregulated. Yes. So um, I love that. things like that. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So um, that's really, okay. So sensory basket. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And also remembering that whenever kiddos um, who've been through trauma are having a hard time and having big behaviors, it's because it's the back of their brain working and the front of their brain and all their reasoning and all the logic part has been hijacked. And mm-hmm. so they're, they are struggling. And I want to say coming from like the foster parent side of things, that's easier said than done, right? Like, yeah, I know you've oh, been there. it's so great to just say, yeah. oh, I'm just going to be regulated and I'm going to help yeah. my child. No, it doesn't no. always work like that. And so, yeah. Sometimes I think the best thing that you can do is kind of knowing what your own triggers are. What are the things where you're like, okay, if I have somebody else around, I need to tap out and I'm, I'm mm-hmm. done because if not, I'm going to escalate and I'm going to lose it and I'm not going to be regulated and I'm not going to be the thermostat that my child needs. So we yep. talk about a thermostat versus a thermometer, right? So yep. we want to keep the, the temperature really even in the room. No matter what they do, our response is consistent and always the same. And so... If I know that, oh, man, this is, like, my no-go, they're spitting in my face, and that's kind of my mm-hmm. my automatic, like, trigger for me. Yeah. Um, but one is modeling. what So practice what you preach. So if you're literally working on yourself the same time that you're trying to help your child, so it's like, okay, mama needs to breathe just as much as you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just sitting there and modeling for them. Um or two, sometimes I recommend to parents if they have a favorite candy or they have yeah. they have something that they really enjoy, then that's a time to reward yourself. So, for example, if you feel like you're going to open your mouth and say something that you regret and you love Lifesavers, pop a Lifesaver in your mouth, and that's your cue. Every time you have a Lifesaver in your mouth is just to be quiet and breathe. And so... It's like almost that. like a way of trying to get yourself <laughs> yeah. in a better state uh-huh. so that you can better help your child too. Um, I lo- That is really practical as well. I was thinking um, the difference of, for me at least in my household with my one, one kiddo with big behaviors um, is sometimes it is relationship over discipline and yes. regulation over discipline. Because yes, right. there are sometimes like I would like – for her to hear me and um, for her to kind of stop her behaviors. Mm-hmm. But whenever it gets to that point, what ends up happening, if I if I escalate, if I blow my lid, like there goes not – like one, she's still not going to hear me, but also it impacts our relationship. Right, right. So um, what I found myself doing um, is kind of counter what um, I think typically we do as parents whenever we want to like, no, you need to do what I say. Right. Is – I'll end up just sitting on the floor with her and just, like, grabbing her and pulling her into yeah. my lap and just, like, having a minute. And then we both, like, chill out a yes. little bit. that's great. Um, but I've had to, like, 
remind myself like this isn't this isn't like two steps backwards in parenting because she's a she's a whole different breed of kid that I've than I've mm-hmm. ever had before and that just ends up being what works for us and yes. kind of sometimes sacrificing like immediate discipline and our own instant gratification as yes. parents you know to get them to to behave um is worth the sacrifice because of the relationship and the teaching how to regulate yes but I, I think to your point I think for some kids it can be super super regulating to have somebody touch them that's depending right depending on the child but but some sometimes people, some kids yeah, sometimes doesn't work well but you know your child the best and kind of knowing okay is this going to escalate them or not but mm-hmm. having somebody bring them in, almost like maternal, like I'm just going to sit here and rock you yep. like a child mm-hmm. or you know, like a baby or I'm going to just rhythmically pat your back mm-hmm. and I'm not going to make a lot of eye contact, but I'm just going to show I'm present and I'm nearby mm-hmm. and providing that support for them can be really great. Um, and I think it's a, it's appropriate once, you know, okay, is their lid flipped basically? Are they calm enough now to – are they regulated? And so sometimes I'll um, I'll have a timer and so I'll say, oh, for like, you know, three minutes, we're just going to kind of calm our bodies. And then after three minutes, I'm going to say like, okay, are you ready to talk or do you need one more minute? So giving them a choice in it. But then once it feels like, okay, they're regulated and they're ready to listen, that's when it's a perfect time to have that conversation and just say, okay, man, that just happened. Oh, that was a lot. Like, this happened and then you felt like this and then let's talk about it like you know kind of what happened not in an accusatory way but helping them that's where you're building the brain the the blocks right you're helping to Mm -hmm. fill in some of the gaps in the frontal lobe that's the perfect time because their their whole brain is functioning now for them to start understanding like kind of how things go and then it might be like where you might say so, for example, for our older kiddo that we had, um, we would talk about it when she was regulated, and then we would try little things. So it's like, okay, and she was old enough to mm-hmm. to kind of verbalize things, but we would talk about, okay, you know, you had a really big blow up, and it was a, like two hours of you feeling really upset. What can I do to help support you better next time, and what do you need? And so for her, she would tell me, like, I want you to ask me, are you ready to talk? So I would say, are you ready to talk? And then she would say yes, or she would say no, and then I would give her more time. But for her, just having, like, telling me this is what would be helpful to me would be better. Um, And then at some point she would say, you know, it's hard for me to, when something happens, it's hard for me when I get really, really mad. And so, you know, we would work, we would work on, she and I having one-on-one time together to, mm-hmm. like, process some of that, and it really helped her. And so the next time it was like, okay, instead of two hours, it was an hour and a half, and I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I'm so proud of you. That was really hard, and you did a really great job getting your body together faster. Um, mm-hmm. But kind of working on little goals and little steps with her to try to get her regulated more quickly. I love that. And recognizing, like, look at you. You've made – you made such progress, like you did it, mm-hmm. kind of giving her ownership over what she did. And knowing what your victories are for, <laughs> where it's like, hey, you know, this time you're, you know, you're super upset. I'm so proud of you. Like you didn't hurt your head and mommy didn't get hurt. You know, you did a great job. Like, yeah, that was a really big feeling. You're super mad and you did a great job keeping yourself safe and keeping me safe. 
Um, the little, that. little victories yes. of things. Yeah. yeah, but pointing out those things. Mm-hmm. I love that. Because there's a lot of guilt and shame that comes after a meltdown, right? Because it's like, oh, my gosh. Because then after the fact, they're like, oh. And then the fear of, like, well, is this person going to love me or is this person going to go away or is this mm-hmm. person consistent? And I think reminding them of that, like, oh, that was a lot. That was a lot for mommy and that was a lot for you. I'm so proud of you, you know. And then telling them, like, I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just kind of reminding them or, you know, telling them, reminding them of that consistency and that you're not going anywhere. Like, if you're adopting or if you are fostering, just like, oh, my job is to help. My job is to help you. And as long as I have you, that's, you know, I will be here for you. Um, Reminding them of that, I think, is a good a good way to wrap it up sometimes. I love it. I love it. I love it. I could just keep – I've got so many more questions, but sure. I think we're going to have to wrap up here in a minute. But I want to have you back on. I think there okay. are a couple other rabbit holes I'd love to go down. Okay. Um, and, y'all, um, if you're listening to this episode and you've got um, – some general questions that maybe other people would would love to hear as well, where we could explore this rabbit hole a little bit more, that rabbit hole. Um, if you could comment or send us an email, Mandy and the F bomb at gmail.com, um, that would be awesome, or just on our Instagram. But, you know, Lauren, and I know I already asked you before um, what your F bomb moment was whenever it came to foster care, and we talked about that. Is there an F-bomb moment you've got um, that has to do with the work that you do? Like, when did you know, like, man, this work is is really impacting yeah. your – really impacted a kid and that mm-hmm. – and what I'm doing is like, oh, I didn't realize it was going to be this big. I think – so sometimes you have to look at not every – not every case is a, you know, just a solid gold moment, um, but f- for a couple of – families um there have been times where the parent has told me like I've never no one ever played with me as a child and nobody ever was really there for me or listened to me and I wanted to be different for my child and then when you see that happening with their child um that's the f-ball moment where you're just like oh my gosh like this is going to change generations because of the way that they're interacting with their child and then their child will interact differently with their own you know, like you're changing the way that a family system works and that they're providing such love and support um, in a different way of being with their kids. And it's awesome to watch. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I'm so glad you came on. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you for you having so me. Much. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're coming back. Okay. All right, y'all. Have a good one. Mandy and the F-Bomb is produced by Rogue Media. Make sure to like and follow us on social media, and you can find our show anywhere you get podcasts or at roguemedianetwork.com. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. Podcast.